We were here last Wednesday night, and we got through one and two and stopped at number three. So we're, we did one and two last week. And if you weren't here last week, I'm going to run through one and two really quick and finish up with number three tonight. And three is where the meat of things is tonight. We see Samson and a lady named Delilah. And uh, we see Samson once again. We see him going down this road that he went down before. And we also see the fact that he was living with this woman, Delilah. He was not married to her. We see fornication in his life. We see a lot of things that he allowed into his life many different times. And so tonight, I want you to pick up with me, and we're going to look down to verse number 16. The Bible says, And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. In the Hebrew there, she was nagging him. That's what that says. Verse number 17. Some of, I didn't get anybody to laugh at that, did I? I didn't get any laugh there. Ryan, Lori's not even in here. You didn't, you laughed? Okay. Oh, she's coming in right now. Don't say anything else. So we almost got that out right before she came in. So verse 17 so it says that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not a razor, there hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then shall my strength, then my strength will go from me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he told her all his heart, she sent and called for the Lord of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once. For he has showed me all his heart. Then the Lord of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him, a, made him sleep upon her knee. And she called for a man, and, he, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Last week we started reading from, the, from verse number 4 on, and we saw several things, and I'll review those in just a minute. But when we look at the story of Samson and Delilah, we see several things that happen in the story, and we'll, for sake of review, review just a little bit. There are no screens tonight. You're just going to have to take notes as we go through, and I'll go slow enough so that you can get them. I think you can handle that okay. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive into these verses tonight. Father, we're grateful for another night to be gathered together in your house. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the God that you are. We look at this passage here, and there's plenty for us to pick up on tonight. Last week there was plenty. Tonight there's still plenty. Help us to glean what we can from this passage of Scripture. I pray you would work in our lives and our hearts. We need you, and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We see down in verse number 4, the Bible says, And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman, and that woman's name was Delilah. We see, number one, that theirs was a story of love. Number one, theirs was a story of love. We see letter A, we see the fact that Samson loved a woman. She was a woman of Timnath. Now, the woman of Timnath he was with, he was with the harlot, and then he was now with Delilah. All three of them, Philistine women. 
that Samson had no business being with. And we see that Samson had an issue with women. We see that through the text and through these weeks that we've been studying these things. And we see the fact that, and we mentioned it, that God gives each of us with inside of us, God has given us this thing for, we, our sexual desires are a natural thing from God in marriage and only in marriage and no other place. Our world today likes to take what God designed for marriage and do it all the time. That's not how it was meant to be. And let me just remind us of a few things tonight. Doing things that belong in marriage before you're married is called fornication. And the Bible is very clear in about fleeing fornication and staying away from those things. It even tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, for is the will of God, even your sanctification, it starts out that you abstain from fornication. God is big about fornication. God is big about adultery. Adultery is being married and being with someone you should not be. When you make a vow in marriage, you're to stay with one another and not have, we, our world likes to use the word affair and things like that, is adultery is what the Bible calls it. And it's wrong in God's eyes. And we've talked about it before in other services and things that the Bible talks about that when you commit fornication or commit adultery, you do it against your own soul. There's something, God designed that for marriage. And young people in the room, you make sure you understand me and you understand me well. You stay pure till you get married. You flee fornication. You stay clear of it. You do what is right. And you can do it. And there might be some that say, well, I've already met. Then do what's right today. Start today being clean. Start where you're at right now. Do what's right. God says it's God's will that we abstain from fornication. A lot of times people ask me, Pastor, how am I supposed to know God's will for my life? Well, God will reveal his will to us, but I'll also tell you this. There are many places in the Bible where the Bible says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. All of us are supposed to be thankful and everything give thanks. That's something that's God's will for every Christian. Another thing that's God's will for every Christian is that we flee fornication. That's what that verse says in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. So if you want to find God's will for your life, start by doing what God already says he wants you to do. That's a good place to start. We see that Samson loved Delilah. Not once do we see the Bible say anything about Delilah loving Samson. But what we do know is letter B, that Delilah loved wealth. The lords of the Philistines came to her and offered her 1,100 pieces of silver each to discover the secret of where Samson's strength came from. They used the word for her to entice him. That means to be simple or to be gullible. And Samson, you can just see how he acted with her. And he starts out with the, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. I don't want to jump too far ahead of myself. But we see here that they want her to entice him. Act like an innocent person in order to deceive someone else. That's what enticement was talking about. These men want her to play dumb and do everything she can to extract from Samson the secret of his power. You take each of those men giving her 1,100 pieces of silver, it would add up in today's ballpark around $750,000 worth of money to reveal Samson's strength. We see that theirs was a story of love. Samson loved her, she loved wealth. We see number two, there's a story of lies. Neither Samson nor Delilah were honest in their relationship with one another. 
First thing that we see, letter A, is that Samson's lies, they were senseless. They didn't even make sense. From the very beginning, the first lie he says there, if you look with me in chapter 16 there, and we go up to verse number 6, Delilah said unto Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth. And look what he says in verse number 7. And Samson said unto her, If they bind me with seven green wisps that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Well, the seven green wisps there that are mentioned, those are animal intestines is what those are. And when they haven't been dried, what would happen is these strips of animals' intestines, when they were dried, were very strong and used to make bowstrings. When they were dried, they were incredibly strong, but when they were green and fresh, they were not very strong at all. So it did not make a lot of sense. The second thing that he tells her is he said, bind me with new ropes. Now, if you remember something, new ropes were strong. That is true, because they had not been used over and over again. But we just read about a couple weeks ago how the men of Judah bound Samson with new ropes, and then he got out of them. So we see once again, then we see the third lie he says. He says in verse 13 and 14, Weave us the seven locks of my head into a web. Do you notice how the more he lies, he's getting closer and closer to the truth? Now, the thing that's very interesting, and this is, this is something to think about. This is what my brain, when I think and I study the Bible, my brain likes to think. Sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes that's a bad thing. I'll just be honest with you. I think that's where some people, when they study the Bible, it's our brains that end up messing us up because we're trying to think too hard on something. But how did Samson know that if he cut his hair, his strength would leave? He had already defiled himself in so many other ways and violate his vow, why was it the hair that would make the strength leave? Personally, and this is Brian personally, I don't think he thought that the strength would leave him. He had gotten through everything else. And that's one of the things we've got to remember when it comes to sin. When we mess with sin, when we do what we aren't supposed to do, we don't make the rules in the game. God does. And you might say, well, I got away with it last time. You don't know what you're going to get away with, but I do know this. Be not deceived, and God is not mocked, that whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Judgment day will come. We don't know when, but it will. Don't play with sin. Don't play that game. Samson was playing a game, I believe, is what he was doing. I think Samson, you know, and some people say, well, he didn't even know that his hair was gone. Come on, his hair, I'm sure he could tell his hair was gone. But I think he thought, just like every other time, God was still with him. And he didn't realize the spirit had left. See, the strength, this is the thing. The things that made Samson special, he was set apart for God, so God had special rules on him. But the thing that made Samson so special was the spirit of God dwelling inside of him. And when the spirit of God left him, that's when everything left. But God decides those things, not us. And we've got to remember that. And I think some people think that we can just mess with sin and keep getting away and keep getting away. Judgment day will come. And so we see that Samson, his lies were senseless. We see letter B that Delilah's lies were sinister. She toyed with, Samson was toying with Delilah, but in the real end of it, Delilah was playing Samson like a cheap fiddle. She knew what she was doing. She played her part well and lured Samson into a trap. She even says, if you really love me, you would let me know. 
you really love me. We talked about Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 6, verse 27 and 28. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? And the answer always is no. You mess with it, it will affect you. There is a high price to pay. And be sure your sin will find you out. Which leads us to new stuff. We're back into new stuff now. We see number three today, that there's a story of loss. There's a story of love. Samson loved Delilah. Delilah loved wealth. We see it's a story of lies. We see that Samson's lies were senseless. And we see how Delilah did what she did and how sinister she was in her lies. And we see number three, and we're going to talk about this for a while. Theirs is a story of loss. Delilah wore Samson down and he told her the truth. He told her that his hair being cut and that symbol that was there. And the Bible tells us here that she began to afflict him. This phrase means to humiliate him and she began to mistreat him. The former strong man was weak in the hands of this woman. He couldn't even defend himself against her because his strength went for him, went from him. You look at it, and let's talk about the losses that happen here. First of all, letter A, we see Delilah's losses were considerable. In the end, think about this. Delilah really lost nothing. She was a sinner before the event happened, and she remained one after this event took place. The real tragedy is that Samson was supposed to be a man of God, and as a Jew, he was supposed to take the light of God's law and the grace of God's love and share it with the lost Gentiles so they could know who God was. But that never happened. The aftermath of the story is easy to, to reconstruct. Delilah enjoyed the fruits of her deception. She instantly became a wealthy woman. Financially, she was set for life. However, in the end, she lost everything. Because she died without God. The Bible talks about, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And Delilah shows us a great example of someone who would put sin ahead of a relationship with God. And you might enjoy the pleasures of this world for a while, but in the end, there is nothing in front of you but the judgment of God and the reality of hell if you don't have a relationship with God. And that's what we see with Delilah. Letter B, we see Samson's losses were complete. He lost everything. This man, the strongest man in the Bible, physically strong, I don't think anybody compares to him. I think we saw, what was it, two weeks ago? He carried the city gate 38 miles uphill. I don't know why he just didn't grab the gate and toss it on the ground and go walk. No, he carried the gate with him all that way. He, had, he was set apart for God. Israel needed a judge. There could have been so much good that Samson did. But we see he lost. his losses were complete. And while Delilah lost little in her day-to-day -day life, but their encounter, Samson lost everything of value. Think of the high price Samson paid for indulging in this sin, number one, he lost much physically. Samson paid a high price for his sin with Delilah. Think about this in verse number 21. He lost his freedom. 
We see letter B, Samson's losses were complete. Number one, he lost his loss physically. Letter A, he lost his freedom. The Bible says they took him and they bound him. No more could Samson go as he pleased. His sin had robbed him of his freedom, and he was a prisoner of the enemy. And sin traps us in bondage. Sunday morning, we're going to be talking about, as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, about praising God for his redemption this week. And the fact that we have been bought and purchased and freed from our bondage, the bondage of sin. You see, sin, he lost his freedom, and that's what sin does to us. Letter B, he lost his vision. The Bible says here they put out his eyes. They took away from him sight. They blinded him to make him easier to control. And then letter C, he lost his dignity. The first time Samson came to Gaza was for the pleasure of enjoying a harlot in verse number 1 of chapter 16. This time he returns as a prisoner of the Philistines. They take him to their prison and force him, the Bible says there in verse number 21, and he did grind in the prison house. Grinding was the work of women or the lowest slaves. It showed the disdain that they had for Samson. They humiliated the mighty judge of Israel by forcing him to labor as a slave. And all of these things show us the power of sin in our lives. So he lost his freedom, he lost his vision, he lost his dignity. And those who allow themselves to be in the trap of sin will find that sin has the power to blind, the power to bind and grind. Sin binds men by enslaving them in habits that are hard to break. Sin blinds them into believing that there's nothing wrong with their lives or what they are doing with the sin that they're committing. And sin grinds them into powder as it uses up their lives until they're just a shell of what they used to be. Sin wears you out and wastes your life. A life that could have been productive and useful to God will become a proverb on the dangers of sin. You see, number one, he lost much physically. Number two, he lost more spiritually. This is probably the most expensive haircut in history. Did you know, here are some facts for you tonight. The average lady spends $50,000 on her hair in her lifetime. $50,000. Did you know the average woman spends two years of her life washing, styling, and setting her hair? Did you know the average woman spends 41 minutes per day working on her hair? And some of you are like, there's no way. Yeah, I can tell you need to spend a few more minutes. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Just a joke. Just a joke. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll just leave it at that. They even did a recent survey, and get this, 54% of women surveyed got more mad at their hair than they did at their husbands. You believe it? Yeah, but you got a good husband, so what can you say to that, right? Um, 54% hair, hair. 
Did you know that Americans spend over $7 billion per year on hair care products? And that figure doesn't include the money spent every year having their hair cut, colored, permed, set, or styled. Hair is important to people. If our, if our hair is important to us, imagine how important Samson's hair was to him. Or it should have been. His hair was never to be cut. He was a Nazarite. It was part of a vow that required the fact that his hair could not be cut. If you want a verse to look at later, Numbers chapter 6, verse number 5. Samson's hair was an external symbol of his commitment to God. It identified him as a man set apart for God's glory and God's use. As long as Samson's hair let to grow, it set him apart as a man of God. When his hair was cut, he lost God's power in his life. As long as Samson allowed the Lord to control his hair, he was fine. But when he allowed Delilah to control it, he lost his power with God. We see several things when we talk about what he lost spiritually. Number or letter A, we see he lost fellowship. He lost his fellowship with God. He lost his fellowship. The Bible tells us there the Lord was departed from him. When Samson allowed his hair to be cut, he lost his strength. But his hair was a visible symbol of his commitment and things that we said. But I want you to understand something. All throughout, Samson would, he violated this vow. He touched a dead body in Judges chapter 14, which was forbidden. He attended wine feasts in Judges 14, spent time in vineyards. Both of these put him in danger of breaking his vow to God. And finally, he crossed the line that God said that was enough. And in that moment, Samson was declaring that he loved Delilah more than he loved his God. He was saying that he loved living in fornication more than he loved his life as a servant of God. Samson's power did not come from his hair. It derived from his relationship with God. His hair was, his hair was symbolic of that. God left him. And when he did, God took away his power as well. He paid a high price for his sin. Now I know this evening, one of the things I want to make sure you understand, and Belinda and her blessing earlier, God does never leave, he never leaves us. He does not leave us. He will not forsake us. That's a Bible promise. There might be times in your life where like, wow, where is God at? But the problem is us, it's not him because he's right there. He does not leave us. And sometimes we get, and a lot of times, Belinda, it's our minds. Our minds, our minds are a problem. My mind is one of my big problems in life. Yeah. yeah. All right, and watch. Now he's going to go back to sleep till the service is over. He wakes up for five seconds right at that time, and then he's going to go back to sleep. No, he might actually stay awake tonight. He hasn't heard good preaching in about a week, so that's good. Uh, so... Anyways, I, I knew it was going to come at some point, and it came. It, think about this. You cannot lose his presence in your life. Once you're in the Father's hand, no one and nothing can pluck you out, and no one or nothing can separate you from his love. But I will tell you this tonight. 
Think about this with me. If you want his power in your life, you better do what's right. Because sin hurts our fellowship with him. You've got to understand something. Listen to what I'm saying. And make sure you understand what I'm saying. He's always there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But we expect God to just, we're sinning and living in sin, and we expect God to just commune with us and everything to be just fine. Bible, that's not how the Bible says it works. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You've got to understand something. Yes, he'll never leave you. Yes, he'll never forsake you. But you can, you can lose your fellowship with him. If you're not walking in the Spirit, you're walking in the flesh, how can the Spirit do the work He needs to do in your life? So, yes, tonight, like Samson, yes, you cannot lose. The Spirit of God will not depart. He's there. But the Spirit of God grows dormant in a lot of people because of the sin in our lives and the things that we do. You see, there cannot be room for sin in our lives and room for Jesus. You cannot serve two masters. We can't. Thank God our relationship is secure. But I'll say this, our fellowship is fragile. When we want our sin more than we want him, he says, okay, your choice. He's right there and he doesn't leave you. But that's when we walk in the flesh and we have no power when we're walking in the flesh. He doesn't leave us. He's right there. But when we choose to walk in our own strength, we're forfeiting that power. Not walking in our own strength. Very important to remember that. Our prayers, the Bible says, things can hinder our prayers. Our worship can be hindered. Our walk with God can be hindered. And sin drives a wedge between the saint and God. We cannot have both. We see, letter A, he lost his fellowship. Letter B, he lost his spiritual discernment. I think one of the, two of the saddest words in the whole Bible together in this passage, he wist not. I know those, you know, like, wist, that just doesn't sound quite. He wist not. It means when Samson awoke from sleep, he didn't even know God left. Sin's grip was so strong on Samson's life that he didn't know the power of God had been removed from his life. He assumed that God would be with him like he always had been. And this time he was wrong. That's what sin does. It robs us of our spiritual discernment. It robs Samson of his spiritual discernment. Samson had gotten used so used to living under his own strength, they didn't realize that God had removed his strength from the picture. We do things very similar. There are many out there, and nothing sadder than someone who claims to know the Lord, thinking they're living in his will, when God's nowhere to be found. As a result of sin. My question is, 
to Samson, how could he not know? But this is what happens. Sin has a way of blinding us of the truth of our condition. When we're prideful, we think it's someone else who needs to get right. Look at how wicked they're being. Think about David. David heard about, remember Nathan comes to him and gives him the story, and David was so mad. How could that guy do that? He needs to restore threefold, and I'll kill him. Nathan says, David, you are that man. Sin blinds us. And we see that's what happened here. Sin will rob you of your spiritual discernment. Because of sin, a lot of church members today have little or no spiritual discernment. You know how I know that? Because they'll go to a church service. And I'm not judging. I'm not being bad. I'm not being mean. But they can't recognize the Spirit of God at all. Oh, look at what God just moved in here tonight. They don't have spiritual discernment. I would love if every church around here had the Spirit of God in their services. I really would. We know the truth. You cannot tell me that some of these churches that are nothing more than a nightclub meeting together, that they have the Spirit of God in what they're doing. And I'm not judging it, and God could be. And I'm, but what I'm saying is we have far too many today that can't tell the difference because of sin. And we, our spiritual discernment is off. And what happens is most people don't know when he's not there and then they don't appreciate it when he shows up. Sin is killing us in these days because it destroys our ability to recognize God. Even Isaac, as he traveled with his father up Mount Moriah, had enough wisdom and discernment to know that something was missing. Oh, where's, where's the sacrifice at? We need to get right with God with our sin and ask Him to forgive us so that we can have His power in our lives and be wise enough to know when He's on us and when He's not. We see He lost, letter B, a spiritual sermon, letter C, He lost His ministry. He lost His ministry. Because of sin, the Lord put Samson on the shelf. He was removed as judge over Israel, and he was no longer a vessel fit for God's use. And his ministry was over. I want you to look with me at a passage. Take your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians. Hold your place here. So we got, we're going to come back here for one last little thing. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 real quick. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. First Corinthians nine. Look down at verse number twenty seven. Paul says, First Corinthians nine, <clears throat> verse number twenty seven, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means 
when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. The word castaway here means unfit, reprobate, not standing the test. It was used of coins that were tested and not found to be struck with real gold. In other words, becoming useless. Paul feared in his life that he would get to the point that he would become useless to God or worthless. So what the Bible says here, Paul took the necessary steps to overcome his flesh. It says there, the phrase keep under literally means to beat black and blue. That's literally what that means, to keep under. I'm not telling you to start, flesh, don't go there and start hitting. I'm not telling you to start hitting yourself. I got a black and blue bruise to prove what I don't know. You get the figurative speaking that it's talking about here. The word it says to keep under means beat black and blue, and that says the word subjection. Do you see that there? I keep under my body and bring it to subjection. The word subjection means to enslave. Paul took the initiative. He mastered his flesh instead of letting his flesh master him. And Paul's fear should be our fear as well. And I'll be honest with you. I fear the same thing that Paul talks about. I've seen many men of God, pastors, that preach the word of God, had God pre God's presence in their preaching, and God moving and doing things. And they did not master their flesh. They let their flesh get the best of them. And today, they're worthless to the cause of Christ. And that could happen to any of us. But the grace of God. And that's why a verse like this and a story about Samson should ring fresh in our heads happen to anyone. And I don't want God to look at Brian and say, you know what? I'm giving you chance after chance. I'm done. That's literally what happened with Samson. That's what Paul was talking about. We see that he lost his ministry in letter D. And lastly, he lost his testimony. He lost his testimony. Samson, the strong man, the mighty judge, was taken to a Philistine prison and made to do the work of slaves. He was humiliated in the eyes of his enemy. Do you ever stop to consider that God was humiliated right there with him? Look at, go back to our text, Judges 16, and we're finishing up right here. Verse number 22, it says, How be it the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy, and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. When they laughed at Samson, when they were rejoicing here, they were also mocking Samson's God as well. A victory over Samson meant that Israel's God to them was inferior to their God. 
and their God beat Samson's God. And my friend, when the flesh, and when we fail in the flesh, when we fall into sin, we bring a reproach to the name of Christ, to the name of the Lord. God is so closely identified with his people that our shame in the eyes of the world and the devil translates to his shame as well. And it's not right. God's never done anything wrong. Never. I hear today and in churches and independent Baptist churches, I hear of these things going on and pastors and youth pastors and these sexually assaulting young people. And the thing that happens, and you can read newspapers close, stories close to home, and the thing that always you see, not only does it talk bad about those that do it, which it should, but it drags the name of God along with it. And it's what happens. God doesn't deserve it. It's not God's fault what people do. People do what people decide to do. But when we sin, and we need to remember the consequences of it, that it translates, our shame translates to his shame as well. Second Samuel, I was going to read you a couple of verses and you can just write down these references if you want. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, how be it, because by this deed, and this was about David, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. First Peter 4, verse 14 and 15, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their party is evil spoken of, on your party is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Titus 2, 5, To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God is not blasphemed. 1 Timothy 6, 1, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of the God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. 1, Peter, I mean 1 Timothy 5, 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. The lesson and the, the application to tonight's message should be very clear. What we do matters. What we do reflects back on God. Let us resolve that we'll do nothing that will be an evil reflection on the glorious, precious name of Jesus. He deserves our best, and let's give Him our very best. What are we to do with this whole story, this tragic story? We gotta take it to heart. We must come before God, and if you got sin, deal with it. And we must get honest about our weaknesses. And the thing that we need to remember is it says in John chapter fifteen, verse number five, without me, you can do nothing. And church without him, we literally can do nothing. How do you want your story written? There's things you need to get right with God. I would take some time tonight when you get home and spend some time with Him and get things right. Start working on it now. Start living right. Do what's right. 
And if you need help to do what's right, get with someone who can help point you in the right direction to do what's right. Father, we thank you.